Vertical, how we doing? Woo! I love it. Welcome to Vertical. My name is Dale Wallace, and I'm the executive director of Vertical Ministries. And I'm going to, I want to start with this question tonight. Do you know what the leading cause of disappointment is? Expectations. You're the teacher's pet and you're correct. And so I'm so glad, again, I'm glad you're here tonight. But, but here's the deal. You know the leading cause of disappointment is expectations. I was in a relationship uh, uh, back in the day and it was long distance and I was dating this girl and we experienced this firsthand. This is what would happen. She lived in Arkansas, I lived in Waco and uh, we would only see each other every two to four weeks. And so this, this time in between was just created such a buildup. There was this expectation and excitement and all this would happen. And then finally, uh, whenever we'd see each other, we'd be like, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. We'd hug each other and be like, how are you? And we'd be like, I'm good. We talked yesterday and the whole day today. Like, and it would kind of be this letdown. Like every two to four weeks, there was this thing going on where we were like, we had these expectations of like Cinderella and Disney and fireworks and all these things coming together. You know, that's what's going to happen when we see each other. And, and, and then it would just be this total letdown sometimes, just to be honest, that was what was going on. And it was good for us to realize this. And we actually ended up recognizing this, starting to communicate this, because what would end up happening was, was that this expectation would be set. And we'd come together, and if expectations were exceeded, we were, it was the most amazing weekend that we got to hang out together and spend time with one another. It was amazing. But if expectations weren't met, Honestly, I should have just driven back to Waco. I'd be like, hey, this is a waste. Like, it's, this isn't going to be a good weekend. This is foolish. It's just a waste. First five minutes, let down, disappointment, frustration, not going to be fun. That's the way it was. And that's the way expectations work. When they're met and they're exceeded, it's exciting. When they're not, it's disappointing and frustrating. And this is why even William Shakespeare Way back in the day, that philosopher uh, said expectation is the root of all heartache. And so tonight I want to talk about expectations. Specifically, I want to talk about how we expect God to speak. How do you expect God to speak? How do you expect God to work? How do you expect God to show up? How do you expect God to speak? Because when I was in college, I expected God to speak in a, a various number of ways. <laughs> Honestly, one of the first ways that I expected him to speak was when I didn't study for a test and I was taking a test, I would look at the Scantron and I'd be like, God, just speak to me. It can just be a letter, A, B, C, D, maybe even E. There's only 30 questions, right? I would be like, God, I, you don't even need to give me a sentence. Just 30 letters, you know? And God always told me it was C, right? Am I right? It's always C. Answer is always C. But you know that moment? Have you ever asked God to speak? And that way you're like, just please. <laughs> I need a miracle here, right? Or maybe you're driving down the road. Maybe You've probably never done this. You've been driving down the road. You're like, God, I'm just... I pray for my, my, my future husband or wife, and, but it'd be nice if you could just write their name in the clouds right over there. That'd be ideal. No, nothing. Okay, just keep driving, right? Keep praying, hoping, right? For me, I, I remember this moment and this, it, it doesn't matter what this makes me look like, but I remember one time like I was st stargazing and I was like, God, just a shooting star right now. 
and I'll believe you forever. I'll believe in you more or something. You know, I was a Christian, but I like, was like, just prove to me that you're real. Like think about, sometimes that's the way we want God to speak. We're gonna be like, all right, God, you're real. If you shine a light over there, right, boom. He didn't do it. He's, it didn't, he didn't speak in that way. That's kind of the way we, we kind of hope he's gonna speak. Or, and there's all these different ways and even expectations that we have of how God is gonna speak. And I think many of us want God to speak to us. We wonder why he hasn't spoken to us because in, in the Bible, we see that Joseph, Joseph had God speak to him in a dream. And we're like, why doesn't God give me a dream? And then, and then we see Moses. You, know, you remember Moses had this burning bush and God was speaking to him through this burning bush. And then even New Testament, we look at Paul and Paul has this experience where it, it kind of looks like that, where, where he's like blinded by a God coming out of the clouds or the sky and he's light and he speaks to him and that's what happens. And so we have kind of this, this, this okay expectation. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but all of us, deep down, I think, really want God to speak to us. And so tonight, we're going to look at the way God has spoken to us. We're starting a series, as Logan mentioned, this series is called Vintage. Vintage are things that are old, that look cool now, you know what I mean? And uh, Vintage, it's titled Vintage, Why Faith is Still Relevant. Why Faith is Still Relevant. And we're going to study through the book of Hebrews, and tonight we're going to be in Hebrews 1. We're going to start at the beginning, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. And then we're also going to look at chapter 2, verse 1, as we close the night. Where we're going to go tonight is we're going to answer three questions, what, why, and apply. What, why, and how does this apply? That's the way we're going to work through the text tonight. One thing you need to know Actually, a lot of things you need to know about the book of Hebrews in order to set up really this entire series, the next five weeks, what you need to know is that this was written to a group of Hebrews. Congratulations. Thanks for coming tonight. Free of charge, that one. And what that is, is a group of Jewish Christians. It was Jewish Christians that, and what was going on at the time was they were experiencing suffering and persecution. Because you can imagine being around in Jesus's day and seeing or hearing about what Christ has done, how he's the fulfillment, he's the Messiah of the Jewish scriptures. So Jesus is the fulfillment of that and people believe in them. And there's no denominations at this point. It's not like, oh, this, we're Baptists now. No, 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 that didn't exist. And so at this point, like they're Jewish Christians. That's what it's Messianic Jews is what they might be called today. And there are these people who, who, who know and, and live according to Jewish beliefs, but believe that Jesus was the Messiah that has come. And so they find themselves in a unique time in history because what's going on is, is Jesus has come, fulfilled the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. And Jesus had said that the temple would be destroyed. But at this point, when this book was written, the temple hadn't been destroyed yet. And so they have this weird tension of like, we believe Jesus is the Messiah, but he, not everything he said has happened yet. And so just think about it. Like the temple was where the Jewish people went to worship. And so they're living in the town and they believe in Jesus and their neighbor is still Jewish and doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And their neighbor is going, hey, 
come with me to the temple. You need, you need to go back. You need to go back to the temple sacrifices. You need to go back to your old ways. And so people are pressuring them to go back to their old ways. And so they're experiencing suffering and persecution. Who is the author of Hebrews? Origen said it well in AD 254, only God knows. I have no idea. I'm with Origen, okay? So that's what we need to know about the text as we dive into verse one. This is what it says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Let's stop right there. Long ago, at many times, in many ways. This is what you need to see, that in many ways, what, what this is saying is that God has spoken in the past through a diversity of messages, through a diversity of people over different periods of time. That's what the Old Testament is. And, and, and what it means, this diversity of messages is like, there's writing, there's speaking, there's skits, like Ezekiel included skits. Isaiah included a demonstration. Isaiah put on this loincloth and like danced around the city. That was, a, that was his, his, the way God spoke to his people through the person of Isaiah was through demonstration. Think about David. God thro- spoke through David through song in the Psalms. These are the many ways that that God spoke in the past. He, in the past, spoke through the prophets. To the Jewish audience, they would have known this was, you know, from Moses to Malachi. This is how God has spoken. But verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In these last days. He has spoken to us by his son. So as we're answering the question of what, what we see here is that Christ is the final word. Christ is the final word in these last days. That means from now until the end of time. Christ is the final revelation that has been given to mankind from God. Boom, that's it. We have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament. There is no next Testament. In these last days, God spoke. It's been done and it's been done through the person of Jesus, his son. Christ is the final word. What's crazy about this is that there's an implication here. And the implication is that there doesn't need to be new books of the Bible to explain the character of God. There doesn't need to be more to explain who God is. It seems to imply that Jesus Christ was sent and that Jesus is sufficient. Christ is enough. But you and I were like, we want God to speak to us. We just want him to speak to us. I want you to think about this for a second. Track with me. Let's say God showed up right here and spoke to us audibly. What would we do? We'd be like, oh my gosh. Did you guys hear about what happened at Vertical? God came and spoke and something audible. He said, the answer is always C. You know, I don't know what God said, but let's say that God showed up and said something. What would we do? The first thing we would do is go and tell everyone, right? We would go and tell absolutely everyone. Like I saw it with my own two eyes. I heard him speak. He was there. We're gonna tell everyone. 
And then we'd realize, you know what? That's not that, that's not that good. We need more people to know about this. We'd probably go on social media or we'd go in some sort of way and we would record it. We'd be like, this is what he said. It was amazing. I saw it and heard it and God spoke. That's what we would do. We would tell everyone, we would record it. And then let's say that these people at Baylor are like, you guys are a little bit crazy Christians. We're gonna have to you know, stop what's going on at Vertical. We'd be like, no, you can't stop. This is what happened. This is how God spoke. This is how he did it. We would, we would really believe in the message, right? And they were like, you know what? We're gonna kick you off campus and we're gonna kill you. Okay, let's pretend like Baylor said that to us. We'd be like, you can't kill us. And they'd be like, just say it didn't happen. We'd be like, no, I saw it. I heard it. God spoke. That's what we would do. We would tell everyone, we would write it down, and we would die for it. That's what the early church did. That's what the early church did with Jesus. That's exactly what happened. So you want God to speak? He did. Jesus. We are busy looking for God to speak now when he has already spoke through Jesus. We're very concerned with what is God saying to me today when this scripture seems to be showing us and pointing us to what God has already said and it being enough. This is what it might look like a pastor friend said it this way. Actually, the pastor of Logan's church, uh, he said it this way, and I'll confess that I didn't watch the Super Bowl last night. It's fine. Apparently, I didn't miss anything. And uh, what, it, what probably happened at some point in the Super Bowl as you were watching is that there were different reviews. Whenever a play is you know, under further review, they go to the camera, and there's all these different angles. And, and finally, you get to the angle that like, reveals like, what happened, like it's very clear that this is what the call should be. And we're like, okay, shouldn't these referees be better at this? Like we found it, we figured it out in like 30 seconds. It's taking them five minutes in a commercial break. Like this is silly. And so that is what happens every time there's, there's a review in, in the NFL or in, in football. And that's kind of like what the scriptures are like. Like they show us all these different angles of who God is through the prophets. Just hang with me, I promise. There's all these different angles. And then there's that angle that's like, boom. That wasn't a touchdown, right? Des didn't score, okay? Like, like, that's the way it is. Like, it's very clear that didn't count, right? Sorry, Cowboys fans. That's the deal. Like, there's always usually this moment where we're like, this, this is clear. And then they keep showing videos and you're like, why do they keep showing it? Like, we already saw it. It's so clear. All the prophets are giving these angles of who God is. And then God, through his holy scriptures, is saying, but here's the clearest version of who I am. Long ago, I spoke through the prophets. Now, I spoke through Jesus. Boom. That's what it looks like. So that's the what. Christ is the final word. So... Why? Why is he the final word? Let's keep reading. And I'll repeat the end of that last sentence so that we understand where we're going. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God 
and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So the second question that we have tonight is why? And the answer is because of who Christ is. So what Christ is the final word. Why is he the final word? Because of who he is. We see these descriptions of who Christ is. He's the heir of all. He's the creator of the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He is the character of God. He's the upholder of the universe. He's the forgiver of sin and he's the king on high. Some of you are like, yeah, great. God and his character. Let's Let's just pick a few of these. And let's see what this, what this really is implying and what this is really saying. Let's, let's look at character of God. You're like, okay, so what? Jesus was a human who had the character of God. This is, this is what it's saying here. God is showing us his character, his nature. He's not just giving us information, but he, he's giving us a person. He's giving us a human. He's giving us an opportunity for relationship. He's God in human form. That's who Jesus is. When it means character of God, it means it is, it is God in the flesh. And you're like, well, yeah, big deal. Like, what does that mean? That means God doesn't just say, I am just and give you information. He gives us the person of Jesus and we see justice as Jesus enters the temple and sees evil and money changers. And he's like, forget this. I'm flipping these tables. I'm a just God. You don't think God is, has a righteous anger or he has a, or, or, or any sort of way that, like that? Yes, we know he has that. Yes, we know that he's just and he cares about righteousness and, and protecting a place, a holy place. We know God cares. He throws the tables. We see that in the person of Jesus. How do we know that God is caring? Jesus wept. We forget that. It's the easiest verse in the Bible to memorize. And yet we still forget it. We forget that Jesus, when Lazarus dies, he walks up and he's like, he weeps with the people. He's like, I care. I love these people. You don't think God cares about whatever is going on in your life? Let me just tell you, he does. Jesus wept tears, real tears. He was a human, fully God, fully man. We know he cares. We know God cares about you and me because because he has a heart for the people that he loved while he was here on this earth. Do we think God loves us? Can God love us? God doesn't just say, I am love necessarily. He proves it by sending his son to die on the cross for you and for me. Because the ultimate act of love is laying down your life for one another, for another. So we think character of God, okay, big deal. No, this is, this is crazy. The implications are God didn't just say who he was. He showed us who he was in Jesus upholder of the universe. We've heard the song. He's got the whole world in his hands. He got, maybe that was just me that heard that. But anyways, here's the deal. Let's pretend like this sheet of paper, the thickness of this sheet of paper equals the distance between the earth and the sun. You know how many million miles that is? 92 million miles equates to the thickness of this piece of paper. So remember, God is the upholder of the universe. So this sheet of paper is 
the earth to the sun, the earth to the nearest star would be paper 70 feet high. The thickness of all these papers, 70 feet high. That's just earth to the nearest star. Then we, we talk about the diameter of our galaxy. Thickness of the sheet of paper equals 92 million miles. That would add up to 310 miles of the thickness of paper equating to 92 million miles for each thickness. Yet the galaxy, the diameter of our galaxy, 310 miles high of paper is just a speck of dust in the whole universe. It's just a speck of dust. He holds all things, the universe, together with his words. Yet we can't even fathom the fullness of the universe. And Tim Keller uses this illustration and he rightfully says, would you make this Jesus just your personal assistant? As I said last week, we we just treat this Jesus like he's a subscription. We turn to him when we want to and we don't turn to him when we don't want to. Let's look at two more of these statements really briefly. We see that Jesus is the forgiver of sins and he's the king on high. This, this portion of the verse, if you have your Bible with you, it says, after making purification for sins. First of all, that's a really casual way of saying, after he died on the cross, shed his blood for everyone in the world and rose from the dead, after making purification for sins, that's what a priest does. What we see here is, is there's this description of a priest. That's what priests bring a sacrifice of blood. That's what priests would have done for the Jews in order to make purification for sins. So Jesus is the final priest. And then, and then it says, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It also means that he's the final king. This is where kings and rulers and authorities sit at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so we have this prophet, Christ is the final word. We have this priest and we have this king. He's the final prophet, he's the final priest and he's the final king. And you're like, why does that matter? Vertical's getting a little churchy, a little bit too religious these days. Like, what does this have to do with anything? Prophet, think about this. You and I need a truth teller. It's as simple as this. We need someone to tell us when there is spinach in our teeth, okay? A truth teller. Do you have a God who can contradict you? Do you have a God who could speak into your life? Can your God offend you and and maybe even think differently than you? I'd venture to say, if your God can't offend you, then you may be your own God. Priest. Like, what does a priest have to do? That's, that seems like super religious and weird, but, but priests, they, 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 pure, they make sacrifices for the purification of sins. So they're forgivers. Purification of sin is a forgiveness. We need somebody to pay our debt. So because of what Jesus has done, he pays the debt. We've all fallen short of God's glory. None of us are like in 2019, I have lived up completely to God's glory. That's me, right? No, none of us are saying that. We all need a final sacrifice for the forgiveness and purifications of our sins. And then king, this is the one that we struggle with the most. The authority. 
He's meant to be Lord and authority of our lives. He's a better author than we would be for ourselves. You're like, how does this king thing apply to to this day? It, it, It applies in the sense that he is a better author than we are for ourselves. That's who Jesus is. Christ is the final word. He's the final prophet, priest, and king. And and so why is he the final word? Because of who he is. He's God made flesh. And you're like, okay, dude, I get it. We go to Baylor or MCC or TSCC. This is the Bible Belt. We've heard this stuff before. How does this apply to my life? Let's turn to Hebrews 2 verse 1. Before we jump there, I want you to know the rest of chapter one is just saying Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than the priests. Jesus is the final, pro- he's the final prophet. He's the final this, he's the final that. He's just, he is far above all things. Chapter two, verse one. Therefore, so because of who Jesus is, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. That's the application. Let's look at this. Much, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. What had they heard? The message of Jesus. What Jesus has done for all of us. That's what they've all heard. And if we don't pay much closer attention to it, then we'll drift away. In the Greek here, what, what this pay much closer attention, uh, it, it, another way to look at this would be, would be to furiously obsess which is why when I ask the question, how does this apply? I put furiously obsess over who he is. The application of, because of Christ is the final word and because Christ is God in human form, because of who he is, we must pay close attention to this. We must furiously obsess over this fact because of who he is, we must care. Because remember, these Hebrews are turning back to their old ways and turning back to other things. That sounds like you and me. In our flesh, that's our tendency to return, to try to find life in all these places that we're not meant to find life in for those that are in Christ. And so how do we not turn back to all those things? We apply this by furiously obsessing over who he is. Furiously obsess over the original message, the person of Jesus. Every decision in your life should be an overflow of this obsession, of this relationship, of your understanding of him. Why wouldn't we tell everyone about him? Everything in our lives should be an overflow of this way. Just obsess over grace, just obsess over the cross. It sounds so simple, Dale. Why don't you give us something more than the person of Jesus? Here's a question that you might want to apply. When did Jesus stop being enough? Just because Jesus isn't who we expected him to be doesn't mean he isn't who we need him to be. When did Jesus stop being enough for us? We're like, we want to-do lists. Here's my to-do list. Furiously obsess over the person of Jesus. Should I read the Bible more? Of course, we should always, right? 
Should I pray more? Yes, of course. But I don't want to leave you with works to try to earn your way to God when all I'm saying is if you don't want to drift away, may your life revolve around Christ the way that he's meant to. He's meant to be surrendered to, as we talked about last week. He's meant to be followed fully. But again, Jesus may not be who we expect him to be, but he is exactly who we need him to be. We will drift unless we obsess. A furious obsession, what does that look like? In college, for me, a furious obsession came pretty naturally to the organization that I was a part of. And this is what it looked like. What I realized looking back is that everything that the, the fraternity offered, I did. Like that was like a no-brainer. Everything, yeah, I'll do that. Hey, we have this this week. Okay, great, I'll be there. Oh, this? No question. In a lot of ways, looking back, I'm like, that's crazy. I didn't think twice about the organization I was a part of, but at the other end of the spectrum, I wasn't rightly living connected to the church the way I was meant to be connected to the church. So we're like, furious obsession. How does this apply? First thing, we're meant to be connected to the local church. But some of us have the authority of an organization or our majors or our our sports or this or that or extracurriculars. I don't know what it is in your life that is your furious obsession, but just think, what's the small rudder that's making every decision? That's probably your furious obsession. And so that means some of us Maybe a sorority is more of an authority than the God of the universe. Pick on on sororities just simply because it rhymed, yes. (laughs) A furious obsession. That's how we apply the fact that Christ is the final word and he was the final word because of who he was or who he is. So we apply this by furiously obsessing, spending time with it. That's why last week I encouraged you. I'm so proud of all of you that are here at Vertical. You are here to seek God. You're here to seek the person of Jesus. So in summary, what? Christ is the final word. Why? Because of who Christ is. How does this apply? We furiously obsess over it. It changes everything in our lives and everything about us. Eventually it changes our desires. It changes our actions. It changes everything. And just because Jesus may not be who we expect him to be, it doesn't mean he isn't who we need him to be. I saw this firsthand when I graduated from Baylor. I moved to Dallas. Classic. And, uh, I was in this program where we were going through the Bible and there was this humbling day that I'll never forget. And the teacher was asking, or teacher, leader was asking like, hey, what have you guys learned from this book this week? And all these people were going around telling all these sophisticated stories about how the Hebrew, I learned that the Hebrew said this and this. And I was like, that's awesome. I don't even speak Hebrew. Nobody does actually. Why are we reading it? Okay. Like, so he was saying that and the girl's like, this is the way God used this to, 
to teach me this. And everyone's saying all these amazing things. And in the back of my head, there was this thing that I could not shake. That I was, I was reading uh, whatever part of the Bible we were reading. There was this, just this weird thing that could not, I could not get it out of my head. And there was this moment and I was like, please don't call on me. I have nothing of value to say. This is not the day that I want to be called on because I've just had this little thing in the back of my head and I couldn't, I didn't want to share it. And it, it was just, I thought it was shallow and silly. And naturally, the leader says, Dale, what'd you learn? And I think I said the most profound thing I've ever said in my life. I said, this isn't the way I would have written it. It's just not it. This isn't the way I would have written it. And everyone was like, okay, Dale. And teacher, leader didn't know what to say. He was like, okay, that's a good observation. Right? <laughs> and what I meant by that that God was speaking through his word and it just wasn't the way I expected it to be. And think about how this applies to our lives. Like we live in an anxious culture and so we just want to fix. We want something to fix it quick. But God's alternative, or if we could write it, we would fix it with our own fix. But God has this alternative and he's given us this person named Jesus who says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And I'm like, that's not the way I would have written it. Some dude you send a long time ago to be the answer to our rest. I want it to be fixed now. That's how I'd fix anxiety. Think about, think about our prayers when we experience lust. Or for those that, that struggle with pornography, we, we have these prayers where we're like, Lord, get rid of this desire. Think about how dumb of a prayer that is. Get rid of this desire for sex within me, okay? Lord, don't answer those prayers for us, please. Because if Lord answered it the way we would have written it, the way we want to fix things, then that desire for sex would be completely removed. We're talking about premarital sex, um, specifically. That'd be completely removed from our lives when instead Jesus is just like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You can find full contentment in me. I am life. So that one day when you're fully content with who Jesus is, you can enjoy sex within the bounds of the way it was created to be enjoyed. But if we were answering the problem to lust, we'd be like, just remove all desire, make me a robot and have no emotion or sex drive, right? Just think about that. That's how we would fix it. Think about insecurity, the way it manifests in you and I's life the way we diet or starve ourselves because of it. And we're like, we just want to quit. We're trying to quit because of the insecurity. We're just trying to fix the insecurity. And, and God is like, I'm gonna send you Jesus. And in Matthew seven, it says he's the rock. So you find security on the rock. Where if, if it were up to us, we'd fix insecurity just by stopping these bad behaviors and these problems. And Jesus, or, and God's like, no, I have something so much better. It's called the person of Jesus. You get to stand on him. That's what we get to stand on. That's where we find security. That's the way he wrote it. And again, just because Jesus isn't who we expect him to be, we must understand that he is exactly who we need him to be. He is sufficient, 
and he is the final word. And my hope and prayer is that these next five weeks, we'd have a better, grander vision. Because if it were up to us, we would have a genie who would fix immediately, who would show up in fireworks and do these things. We'd have a genie, not a God. And so we just need to take a step back and understand. We may say, God, we want you to speak, but what we want isn't always what's best for us. You ever notice that? But it seems through the scriptures that Jesus is exactly who we need. You feel like life is more like a roller coaster because we're looking for this genie and our life is is based on circumstances and how things are going and this and that. We just want quick fixes. That's the genie God. There's this roller coaster over here that you can ride. It's called life. You can ride that if you want, or you can, you can look to the alternative, which is the God who may not be exactly the way you expect him to be, but it's the person of Jesus. It's that rock I mentioned. It's security. It's solid ground. And so you get to choose. You want to ride a roller coaster the rest of your life, or do you want to have hope and, and security? When stuff hits the fan, I took the phone call yesterday, brought me straight to tears, and I'm like, dang it! This isn't the way I always would have written it. When my family is sick, when people I love are being revived, being kept alive by a cousin, just trying to keep my uncle alive. It's the same family I was with over Christmas break in New York. And I'm going, if, if life's just about the ups and downs and the quick fixes and my life is just God being a genie, there's nothing to be hoped for there. But I have hope in the person of Jesus. And that's where I get to find peace and rest and all these things as things come. And so I'm asking us tonight, hey, let's celebrate the person of Jesus. Let's spend these next couple of weeks learning why faith is still relevant because the person of Jesus is still relevant. Let's pray. Father, would you just help us? Lord, again, maybe we know in our minds but don't believe in our hearts that you are who you say you are. So Lord, I pray you bridge the gap for all of us here tonight through the power of your spirit. Lord, we, we thank you for showing us that you are the final word, that this is how God has spoken to us. God, the father, you have spoken to us through the son. Thank you for that son being sufficient for, for sin so that we can be made pure by his blood. And he's sufficient that he has revealed your character in full, that we can know you, God. We can be in relationship with you because of what Jesus Christ has done. Would you pray that? Jesus, we pray that over all of us, that we would have a grander vision of who you are. May you be enough for us. We ask this all in your son Jesus' name.